By 1885, a German merchant had managed to buy an entire African coastline with a contract so dodgy that even German colonial officials doubted it. Still, this contract and others across Africa paved the way for a German empire. This is Shadows of German Colonialism. Germany's former African colonies, with the exception of Togo, are all bigger than the modern German state. But how did Germany gain a foothold in Africa? Well, dodgy land deals played a significant role. One example took it to the extreme in what is today's Namibia. By the 1800s, European cartographers knew there were just three safe bays to anchor ships across a coastline of around 2,000 kilometers. Upon disembarking, potential colonists faced about 140 kilometers of the most desolate desert stretching inland, the Namib. So it was probably with a good deal of surprise that Chief Josef Fredericks II received a young German merchant named Heinrich Vogelsang at Bethany in southern Namibia in 1883. Fredericks was the leader of a local group who were part of the wider Nama people. Vogelsang was an experienced colonial trader. In the name of German businessman Adolf Luderitz, he offered Fredericks 200 rifles and 100 pounds sterling for the area around a desolate bay on the Atlantic coast. A few months later, a second treaty followed. 60 rifles and 500 pounds sterling for land extending 20 geographical miles inland and all the way south to the Orange River, the border of South Africa. Now, the measurement normally used was the English mile, or 1.6 kilometers. Geographical miles were kind of unheard of, and that's the key. Because the German geographical miles the merchant refers to equals 7.4 kilometers. That's roughly six times more. Luderitz, Vogelsang and the missionary witnessing the transaction were fully aware that Fredericks had no idea that he was inadvertently selling off much of his people's land. When Fredericks did find out about the dupe, he did complain about the validity of the contract with Germany's new imperial commissioner, Gustav Nachtigall. But Nachtigall died on his return voyage to Germany, and the complaint was never received. On colonial maps, Luderitz land appeared, and in August 1884, Germany declared Luderitz land a protectorate, and it essentially becomes part of the German Empire. Professor Brigitte Reinwald says this marked a crucial step in Germany's ambitions to form a settler colony. Auf jeden Fall. This was an explicit aim because the country was perceived as empty land due to the low population density and the subtropical climate, and suitable for German settlers to practice cattle farming on a large scale. And then, in principle, the intention was to found a new Germany, which in a way would be home to the German population and exploit natural resources. But this was not the case for all colonial acquisitions. Cameroon and Togo were considered unsuitable for settler colonies. Und auch Togo für nicht geeignet hielt, um da Siedler Kolonien draus zu machen. Before Luderitz had lost most of his sizable inheritance on a failed tobacco business in West Africa, and he hoped to make a fortune of prospective land purchases in the Namib Desert and find minerals like copper. At one point, he owned the entire coastline of modern-day Namibia. Though he tried to exploit his investments, he found nothing of value and ran out of money. Luderitz sold his possessions to the German colonial society in 1885 and went missing on an expedition soon after. The story is emblematic of how Germany gained a foothold on the continent. 
private land acquisitions by individuals in the Cameroons, Southwest Africa and East Africa were taken over by the German state. In fact, so-called protectorates, ostensibly signed to give protection to the local people as long as they submitted to Germany, were actually Berlin's claims against other competing European nations. It's often said that the local chiefs across the continent did not understand or did not take the treaties seriously. There is, however, some nuance to this, because there were many treaties struck between German imperialists and local counterparts that were actually specifically designed to be insincere from the outset. Historian Gilbert Ngimdo describes just how questionable the Germana Duala Treaty of 1884 in Cameroon actually was. German traders now drew up the final treaty in German language. The main signatories were King Aqua on the side of the local chiefs and witnesses were King Bell and the others. On the side of the Germans, the main signatory was Edward Warman of the Warman firm. Uh, this treaty mentioned had clauses which local Duala chiefs heard with high esteem. They did not want any of such clauses to be tampered with. And where agony began was that while drawing up the final treaty for them to sign in the afternoon of July 12, 1884, that was a Saturday, they had omitted important clauses which the local chiefs cherished a lot. Firstly, their position of middleman monopoly in the trade. Secondly, their right, their taxation on their domestic animals. Thirdly, uh, the fact that they did not want the Germans to inflict any corporal punishments on them or arrest them, torture and imprison or detain them without any fault. The Germans have carefully reduced, removed them. And when the local chiefs now discovered that the Germans have started carrying out exactly the same activities which were prohibited by the preliminary treaty, you rest assured, agony had to start. Perhaps the most notorious instances of treaty signings were the expeditions of Carl Peters in East Africa. In late 1884, the ambitious Peters, without authorization from the German government, traveled through modern-day Tanzania looking for local chiefs, telling them to sign German-language papers, which he himself wrote. Often after being plied with alcohol, chiefs were promised German protection. To sweeten the deal, local leaders were also given guns. The so-called protection papers actually permitted German companies, specifically Karl Peters' own German East Africa company, to access land, resources and labor and bring in German troops and weapons. It seems incredible now, but imagine a group of haggard white people arrive at your village suddenly, hand over weapons and gifts, all for signing a piece of paper. It's even harder to believe that German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck would actually entertain the scheming hack that Karl Peters essentially was when he presented these protection papers to the most powerful man in Germany. But the year was 1884 and Peters argued Belgian colonial interests in Central Africa could harm Germany's own ambitions. And while Bismarck was skeptical of colonies, he bowed to political pressure and agreed to grant Peters territories protectorate status. This meant the German state would defend the areas Peters acquired. But the actual running of the colonies and how to treat a local people was left to a handful of colonialists. And one of them, Hermann von Wismann, even had what amounted to be a private army to put down any resistance. 
Also gerade an der Küste äh, haben sie das, was man äh, späterhin... There certainly was resistance to German expansion. On the coast, there was the Arab Revolt of 1888, where those part of the trade network with the Sultanate of Oman and Zanzibar fought German expansion. This was brutally put down by troops under the command of Hermann Wismann. It was a serious uprising against German land grabbing. Uprisings against land grabs through treaties or forceful expropriation were not limited to East Africa. The Ovaherero-Nama uprising in modern-day Namibia, which many historians now view as a war of resistance to German domination, was preceded by crippling territory losses. The uprising and the subsequent genocidal response from the German imperial forces fundamentally changed the societal makeup of southern Africa to this day. One final twist in the Luderit story. In 1908, Nama and Herero resistance in German Southwest Africa had been brutally crushed. But few settlers arrived, and the colony was costly. Then Zacharias Lewala, who was preparing ground for a new railroad at Grasplatz near Luderitz, found a beautiful stone. His supervisor and amateur geologist August Stauch recognized this as a diamond. The discovery sparked a diamond rush. For a short while, Luderitz became Africa's richest city per capita. A massive Sperrgebiet or restricted area was declared. It's still in force to this day, albeit in the form of a national park. The land, first dubiously acquired by Luderitz, has been settled and exploited by foreign companies. Enormous wealth has been extracted, including by diamond mining giants like De Beers, and very little has trickled down to the people Luderitz bought the land from. What is clear, though, is that German land acquisition was first driven by individuals greedy to exploit African land and raw materials. And these men, from Luderitz to Karl Peters, knew they could call on a well-armed German state to crush any resistance. Shadows of German Colonialism was brought to you by DW with support from the German Federal Foreign Office. I'm Kai Nebe. Mm-hmm.